Well, good morning, everyone. It is great to see you, and thank you for joining us. It is good to have everybody here as we continue in Second Peter on this cold morning here in Pennsylvania, and uh, thank you for weathering that and getting out here today, and I pray it's an encouragement to you as we continue in our resolve, and we continue in the book of Second Peter, if you brought your journals or you have your Bible out today. We're going down the road less traveled, and we're walking that direction as we head towards February 13th, our Vision Sunday. Keep that in mind as we present to you the Renewed Bible Church vision um, that we're looking forward to that has been years in the making that we are going to be presenting. And February 13th, if you pay attention, that is Super Bowl Sunday, if you forget what date that is. And that will be followed by our week of prayer. We do an annual week of prayer here, and uh, that will be followed February 20th with that, so things to look forward to as we move towards one of my favorite times of the year, Daylight Savings coming back, right, <laughs> in March. And uh, as, we, as we walk down this path less traveled, um, we've been following Peter as he guides a group of believers through a very difficult trial that is being imposed by them by predominantly the government, predominantly Nero. And Nero is using Christians as a scapegoat. He's manipulating them. He is bullying them. He is killing them. And they're growing tired. And I believe they're in a position of being pretty worn out. And one of the reasons I believe that is because of the way Peter converses with them. In the first book of Peter, we just saw this brother, brotherly love and this kindness and this warm pastoral warmth. In the second book of Peter, he seems to be a little bit more on the attack. He seems to be a little bit more focused on what they should be watching out for, and he seems determined to build their resolve. Have you ever had somebody come alongside you and say, hey, come on, we've got to do this, and they've encouraged you to have resolve? That's the mentality of Peter here in this second book. And he says, because you've got a power source. In week one, we talked about a, a, a symbol we all see in our life, the dying battery, right? But we want to be plugging in to the promises of God. I pray every time you see that, it'll remind you of the Second Peter series. Say, am I plugging into the promises of God when I feel like my battery is low? In the second week, we talked about these qualities that we should be adding to our faith. It's not just get saved, but grow in godliness. And he gave us a list that I've tried to come up with some creative ways for us to remember it. You think you still get through the list? V, virtue. K, knowledge. S, self-control. S again, steadfastness. G, godliness. B, brotherly affection. And L, love. These are qualities we are to be growing in in our faith. And if you can't remember it, just very kingly super salads, get big lettuce. And then the truth. We must filter what we hear through the truth of God's word. And it's our filter that determines what will carry us along, if you will. And we want to be carried along by the Holy Spirit as he guides and directs us through his word, just like the Holy Spirit carried along the prophets who have not given us anything that is not God-breathed. We can trust the scriptures and we can filter things that we hear through the scripture of God. Well, today, today I'm gonna to talk about something we don't wanna talk about, but it is out there. Young people, if you're here, especially pay attention. And honestly, if you're in the more advanced stage of life, 
let's call it fourth quarter. I had a brother in Christ say, I'm in OT, Chris. I said, sudden death OT? He said, probably. <laughs> probably. It'll just end. <laughs> because a lot of this preys on the elderly and on the young. And, um, and I think in the middle there, we get tricked a ton too. And so we got to watch out for scams. We got to watch out for scams. You ever fell prey to a scam? It's not fun. It's annoying. It's embarrassing. It's frustrating. If you've ever had somebody steal your identity, you know the awful, awful trial that can be. For any of you who've had, had your account hacked into, um, if you've ever had been someone lied to you that you sent money to, it's just a really frustrating thing. I got called one time by a, a daughter of, an, of her elderly parents who had been scammed, and she didn't know that they were giving, I'm going to say thousands at times of dollars, away to a scam. And they had tricked her parents. And the reason she called here at the church is because she wasn't local. And she said, Chris, my parents are in their house and they're being told on the phone that they're outside and you send the check or we're coming in. They're just telling them, is there a car out there? And they say, yeah, what color is it? Um, it's blue. Yeah, that's the one we're in. Ah. And, and, and she was frustrated. She's crying and her parents were gonna give more money so that they wouldn't be taken away. And it was just an awful situation. There have been times where even here at the church where we've had people try to scam the church and a couple years ago, one of our administrators got an email from me. Hey, this is Chris. I'm in a meeting right now. Could you order me some gift cards and send them to this account? Now, I am always in meetings, so they believe that. Uh, my name is Chris. It came from my email so somebody did some good research on our website and sent it to our team, and it just seemed so realistic. And, and so they went ahead and did it. In fact, we ended up having to file. We got it all back, praise the Lord. But it was just such a process because of that. And it's easy sometimes to fall for these things because they seem so real. But you know what? Some of the staff joke, they say, well, Chris would never, ever finish an email very kindly, Chris. I'm like, oh, wait a minute, guys. Like, he wouldn't finish it like that. So, like, it kind of hurt my feelings a little bit. Like, he would have just said, get me the... But, but, like, Chris would ask for gift cards for the council. It was in the middle of a day camp season when we were busy. Oh, he would, maybe the counselors are going to get gift cards and stuff. Like, but, but, unfortunately, it was one of those moments. We were all kind of just like, Wow. We have to stay on guard because scams are getting more and more clever all the time. And so you see on Facebook, it comes up, I bet you can't remember your first pet. And people are like, oh, yes, I can. And they're typing it out. And scam artists are going, yeah, that's one of the clues. They'll say like, oh, I bet you can't remember this, your first car. Oh, I remember my first car. And they're just collecting information. And you say, can I trust anything? Probably online, you probably don't want to. But unfortunately, this has creeped its way even into the church. And there are many, many people sometimes scamming the people of God. What are some things to watch out for? Now, I look at this as like a public service opportunity, all right? Uh, because not long ago, I, I said, change your filters. And somebody said, we really needed to change our filters. Thank you for that. So God used even the meaningless things of the sermons, right? I, I think it's a little more important, especially we need to pay attention. Young people, you probably didn't win $10,000. Don't click that. You've won. Oh, yes. Becca, guess what? We won 10000 All I have to do is drive to North Carolina. No, just, just. 
you're gonna notice a few things, and I wanna teach discernment, just let's be watching for this. One, they pretend to be part of your organization or know something about you. Be very careful to give out your information to someone who initiates the call with you. If you didn't initiate the call, be very careful. They'll say things like, I need you to um, affirm that this is who you are. Be very careful. I had somebody call me one time, they were saying, um, yeah, your, your, your thing ran out, your expert, it, it expired. I'm looking at the card in my wallet going, it didn't expire, what? I'm listening to this, like, I don't feel like it is. Oh no, it expired, I just need your information. Could you send me this? I was like, I'll tell you what, you seem very honest and I do have a subscription with that and I, I do have it in a card. Why don't you send me an email um, because I never give out information that I didn't initiate the call unless I have some things verified. So you just do that, I would appreciate it. Oh, okay. I never got that email. I'm like, I wonder if that was someone trying to scam me. So watch out for people to pretending who, to know who you are. The second there's always a problem. You have a problem. This is gonna happen, oh, you know what? This is gonna happen to you. You know what, this is happening. Oh, your thing has been hacked. Or this is, sometimes it's even like, oh no, I, I, I've been hacked and you're going into a hack. Watch for the problem. There's often a prize. Click here to win. You'll receive a, and you click it, and then the rest of your month is spent deleting emails. You're in a hundred different email chain, right? There's often pressure. Respond by the next 24 hours. There's often a place to pay, and it's a specific way to pay. Watch for that. And so that, that was put together by the Federal Trade Commission. Don't give Chris credit for those five Ps, but be looking for scams. Is that important in our spiritual life? I think it is. And the reason I believe it is, is not based on my opinion, but based on the second chapter of Peter. He wants to make sure the church is not scammed specifically by false teachers. And so he wants the church, especially in his time and day, to know what to watch for, characteristics, things that might give you clues. And he wants us to be resolved to not follow scam artists in 2 Peter chapter 2, which the church was full of in the time of Peter. And in doing so, I hope today to enlighten our eyes onto some things that we should be watching for and not do it from a sense of judgment. For there are many people who love to judge political figures. In fact, they can get a few extra blog clicks if they attack popular names. I wanna do it from that form. I wanna do it from the platform of going, hey, let's make sure that this is lining up with what God wants for the message of the gospel, for the agenda that's behind it, should only be of love, and so that we have a little bit better understanding of what to look for in case we're being easily led astray by a scam. Heavenly Father, use today to mature our faith. For Lord, it's often times when we are not nursed in scripture that it's easily to be, to, um, be tricked in how it's often used. And so Lord, we wanna be good stewards of the word of God. And we wanna be able to watch for things that could infiltrate and hurt um, the work of Jesus Christ. And, and so today, Lord, as we look at false 
teachers. I pray that we would gain some insight that would give us the discernment to make our decisions on what content is of you and maybe what's not. And we'll pray this in your name. Amen. Now, now here we are in 2 Peter. And would you believe, would you believe that some people will go to great ends and, and do things just simply because they want money? Would you believe that in today's society? You know what? Um, I, I got a little information here based on some, some research, uh, statistics and research article I found um, that was put together and was called The Day America Told the Truth. All right, and, 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 and listen to this. There was a, a, a poll put together, uh, sorry, uh, just a, a survey put together. What are you willing to do for $10 million? So I'll ask the audience, $10 million. What are you willing to do for $10 million? Whew. I mean, that's not $1,000, That $10 million. Two-thirds of Americans polled would agree to at least one of the following, some to several. Here we go. Would abandon their entire family, 25%. See ya. Some of you are like, yeah, I can't stand my family. I'm in. 10 million? Let's go. <laughs> Second, would abandon their church, 25%. See ya, church. Just go to another one, $10 million, done. Love you, Pastor Chris, see you in heaven. <laughs> okay, now it gets a little weird and scary. Would become prostitutes for a week or more, 23%. 10 million bucks? You think the world doesn't have a love of money? Here's another one. Would give up their American citizenship, 16%. Now, after the past couple years, some of you are thinking, um, now, now, hold on. You still live in the greatest country, okay? Um, <laughs> would leave their spouses, 16%. Bye, honey, I'll send you some money. Would withhold testimony and let a murderer go free. No way, no way, come on, 10%, I'm in. Would kill a stranger? Who answered these questions? 7%? For $10 million, we're like willing to say check? Look at this article going, the day America told the truth. And then here, listen to this last one. Would put their children up for adoption. Kids. 3% of parents are in here going, that would solve a lot of, no! Kids are like, we'll put you up and take the money. It's an interesting thing though. It's revealing, right? It's a revealing that, that, that people would say what they would give up for $10 million. It almost seems like this money can be such a root of evil in people and their desire for it. And it seems to be one of the number one drivers behind a lot of false teachers, but prophets also arose, Peter begins. Among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. I want you to note a word in there. It says among. I, 
I mean, it's kind of uh, startling to think, this isn't something that's like this wolf coming in from the outside. This will probably come up from within the rank, if you will. And he says, just as there were false prophets in the Old Testament, there will be false teachers among you. They will claim to teach the truth, but they were false teachers. And here's what they'll do. They will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. Now, this is the first verse of many difficult interpretive challenges in the text we're in today. So let's unpack it just a little bit. They will secretly bring in destructive heresies. The word secretly comes from um, a word that means to bring alongside, to have it come alongside the truth, if you will. So there'll be an element of truth, and then alongside it, they'll, they'll secretly bring that in, and they'll deny, and that's in present participle form, which means a continual denial The master who bought them, bringing upon them swift destruction. Now, is this talking about unbelievers? The false teachers are unbelievers? Are these talking about believers? And because of that, this passage has been difficult to interpret because it says they deny the master who bought them. So if they were, they were how can he be their master if they were unbelievers? And, and there are some that, that take different angles on this based on their theological views. And you'll hear this in the church at times. You'll hear um, the unlimited Tome crowd says, okay, the master who bought them, redemption for all, effective for only those who believe. And then the limited Tome crowd, they say, no, Christ only died for the elect. And you'll hear this in Bible college all the way through life, this battle between these different theological standpoints is that people are dug in and they have some good biblical backing for both of their views. And they're often brothers in Christ and they're going back and forth and just right in here you can see that, that these different discussions that creep up and that's why we want to be careful because sometimes we disagree with people based on our hermeneutic of scripture and we say they're a false teacher because they interpret the passage that way when actually they view that scripture differently because of the filter of their hermeneutic. They're not necessarily a false teacher. You might think what they're teaching isn't correct but there are brothers and sisters in Christ that will spend eternity together who have slightly different theological views that they're very dug in on. That's why when people say, you're of that camp, Chris ain't in any camp. We are a contextual church that preaches a literal, historical, grammatical aspect of scripture. If that is a camp for you, fine, but that's how we move forward. What I think is most important about this verse is not so much whether they're master who died for them, but they're actually unbelievers, or whether they're believers who are denying what's going on. I think what's most important is that there's a swift destruction for people who walk around preaching like they are accepting this master, Jesus Christ, but but they deny him. Watch what happens. How, how? And many will follow their sensuality. There's an aspect where they appeal. And because of them, the way of the truth is blasphemed. The sensuality, it's far more than appeal to, the, to just lustful things. It can be appealed to anything like stuff, wealth, fame, happy, live your best life type stuff. I mean, you can have this idea of just, God wants you to just, and you gotta watch for that. 
And because of the way the truth can be blasphemed, have you ever saw a, a, a public communicator? They kind of, they did something that was just, oh man, that is not the way scripture would have it. And you go, oh, that's gonna be reflective of all the church. Now everybody's gonna think that all Christians are like that and we're rolling our eyes just like they are. Peter's kind of like, these false teachers, you know what they do? They make the word of God look foolish. And he's a frustrated, I'm gonna tell you. He gets building here. Peter, you, you remember the Peter we talked about, that passionate, it, it's coming. He goes, and in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle and their destruction is not asleep. They're going to pay for this. Their agenda is greed. They're money lovers. He's not, I'm not, I'm not saying like if a, if, a, if a communicator is successful, that doesn't make his agenda greed. There are people who are successful for many different reasons financially. That doesn't make them greedy. I can show you a poor person that is greedy and I can show you a rich person that's greedy. It's a stewardship of wealth. It's not the agenda of wealth. He's speaking of the agenda of wealth. They want money and how they do it, they exploit you with false words. It means feigned words. You can circle that in your journal. Feigned words, what does that mean? Plastic words, isn't that interesting? Yeah, we get the word from the word in its original context plastos or plastic words. They have plastic. Plastic words can be twisted, right? If he said with their steel words, you would go, no, you can't move them, but plastic words, you can twist that, right? Once you watch for that, because of their greed, they will twist things because they can't afford to lose money opportunities. And so if they gotta twist a couple passages to keep a couple people happy, they're gonna be willing to do it. Can you think of some things in your life that are easily twistable? When I thought through that, I'm gonna age myself a little bit younger crowd, but I remembered a toy, not of my youth, but it was famous, and I think it's still famous. We'll find out in the reaction to what I'm about to share. The, the, this thing is called Gumby. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Gumby, and he had a horse, Pokey, okay? And he was made of clay, all right? And, 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 and this guy, you can mold him and shape him. Now, I was talking to one of my video techs about this. He's like, oh yeah, this was stop photography where they would make a video and you'd have like 24 pictures per second of video. And so these claymations that they would use, that's why you saw those hitches. Young kids, you ever watch Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer at Christmas? And you're like, what's its problem? You know, it's like going like that. that that's what it was like back then. That was amazing technology for your parents, okay? Like, are you kidding me? This is the idea behind false teachers. They're plasticky, they're bendable, they're twisty. Do you know somebody like that? Everybody's got a friend that's a little bit of a Gumby. And I'm not talking about you, you very strange people who can stretch in ways I can't even believe. My, my kids got some friends like that. They're like, watch this, Mr. Heller. And their leg goes over. I'm like, oh, what's wrong with you? <laughs> or is that actually a great thing, right? They're not pulling their hamstring every turkey bowl. Twist and turn. And, and he had his pokey, the horse, and you could twist and turn. Do you know somebody who's easily twistable? It's that friend who goes, oh man, like, Teslas are so sweet. And then the other friend goes, oh, I think they're stupid. Why would you do that? And they're like, yeah, that's what I was thinking too. You're like, what, what? And, and that's just a little funny illustration, right? But how about 
When we say something and then we change it, you might work in an environment like that. It's hard to work under a leader like that where they're like, this is what we're gonna do. And then somebody comes in and goes, I was thinking we're doing this. You know what, I'm thinking we're gonna do that too. It's hard because you're not sure where to land. It seems like it twists compared to what strong personalities are in the room. We're gonna to twist to that or we're gonna to twist to that. I'm looking for somebody who shows some stability in what they believe. And so they've gotta be standing on something. Otherwise, I feel like I'm following or hanging with Gumby and I'm riding his horse pokey. And that's what the false teachers are like. Peter says, watch for them. They have a twisted Jesus. They have a twisted gospel. They have a twisted agenda. And they have twisted hearts. He's gonna really dig into this. They're gonna have a twisted Jesus. He's gonna, it's gonna sound like Jesus, but you know what? They don't really believe he's fully God. They're gonna have a twisted gospel. It's gonna go beyond what, what the scripture says and it's gonna add some things or even detract from some things. They're gonna have a twisted agenda. Their goal is greed and sensuality. They're gonna have twisted hearts because their hearts are corrupt. He said, church, watch for them. And, and he begins what is called a conditional sentence and it's a long conditional sentence. And a conditional sentence carries the idea of if then, okay? If this happened, then this is gonna happen. And Peter is about to begin what I'm gonna call a little bit of a holy, righteous rant. Have you ever, young people, have you ever heard dad go on a rant? You know what I'm talking about? Every, every dad has a, a message. Every dad has one sermon. I could get them up here, they could go. They don't even need practice, they do it. And their kids probably know what to say. Moms, you probably got one. You're like, you give me 15 minutes. That just drives me crazy. It's usually something that drives us crazy, right? And we just go off of My kids know what, hey, hey, dad, what do you think of this? I'll tell you what I think of that, right? right? And, and we all have that thing, and the whole family goes, oh, no, here we go. We had a dear saint and going on to be with the Lord, so he's at peace now over this subject. But if we brought up player salaries, okay, athlete salaries. This guy, he was one of our Billions and Grounds guys. He would go crazy. Some of you love the name Stan Nice. And Stan would just be, I will tell you about her getting paid too much money. And we'd be just like laughing. There he goes, there he goes. Made solid points every time. But it was this thing. Peter says, I wanna talk about some situations. He's gonna leverage three examples. For if God... He's a little fired up about these false teachers. Here we go. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment. This is what Peter does. He gives us no context and he just blasts off about something he knows. Many believe this is a reference to the sons of God in Genesis 6 who have left their angelic abode, evil angels, and intermarried with or, or excuse me, had sexual relationships with human beings and produced a Nephilim that's often referred to. And many people believe he's referring to that. He could also though be referring to the evil angels, a third of the angels who followed Lucifer in his rebellion against God. But Peter begins his if then statement by saying, if God did not spare the angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell, he, he punished this and committed them to change the gloomy darkness to be kept until judgment. If that, 
Okay, we got to build, second one. If he did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness, with seven others when, a, when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly. Okay, so in the days of Noah, did God not punish the ungodly for their ways? Every man did what was right in his eyes. But if he rescued the righteous, even from them, Noah and his family, a third one, if by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, he condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. Wait a minute, what? Yeah, Sodom and Gomorrah and, and burning it with fire and punishing it was to be an example of what's going to happen. This is one of the reasons I believe that what will happen during the tribulation is going to occur because of this if. This is the way God's going to do it. But what did he do? He even rescued the righteous from that. It's one of the reasons I believe that I don't have to fear the tribulation. I'll be out of here. And if he rescued righteous Lot, greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked, for as that righteous man lived among them day after day, he was tormented in his righteous soul over their lawless deeds that he saw and heard. Now, wait a minute, God. I think, I'm, 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 excuse me, wait a minute, Peter, forgive me. I think I'm following you. If God punished those angels who rebelled, if God punished the world for doing everything they thought was right in his eyes but rescued Noah, if God punished Sodom and Gomorrah for their sensual, sexual evil, yet rescued Lot, which I'm having trouble with Peter calling Lot righteous because Lot was a very, very confused man, even offering up to a mob that wanted to sleep with the angels that were at his house, his daughters. But I guess through the idea of progressive revelation, that's what Lot knew, or a comparativeness of the time period, he was considered righteous for believing and having the faith of an Abraham. I've got to go with what Peter says. And God rescued the righteous. So, if that's the case, what's the then, Peter? then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment till the day of judgment. God knows how to punish sin and he often also knows how to rescue his kids. And we can take hope in that. Does that mean he does it every time? Well, eternally speaking, absolutely. But there are times when God's children lose their lives due to evil on earth and living in a sin-cursed earth. However, one thing we know is to die is gain. And therefore, we will be kept for that moment. But the unrighteous, God knows how to punish. And Peter's building his case. It's almost like he knows the false teachers are gonna read his letter. And he wants them reading their future for what they're doing. And the rant officially begins. I'm going to put up a few characteristics of false teachers during Peter's day. I'm going to put them up here on the side. And 
What I'm gonna do is ask you to listen for them as I read, okay? Now, I have selected these. These aren't directly from the text, but I'm saying these seem to be some characteristics of the false teachers of of Peter's time. Now, watch this, because Peter is not gonna mix words. He's just a little fire. Hey, Peter, what do you think about false teachers? Okay, I'll tell you. Bold and willful. They're bold and they're arrogant. They do not tremble as they blaspheme the glorious ones. Whereas angels, though greater in might and power, do not pronounce a blasphemous judgment against them before the Lord. Whoa, 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 what, Peter? He's saying, look, even the good angels do not pronounce judgment on the evil angels. Even they don't do that. But these false teachers, they are just bold and willful. They judge people. They're arrogant. But these like irrational animals, creatures of instinct, born to be caught and destroyed. They're irrational. They're unrestrained, these false teachers, blaspheming about matters of which they're ignorant. They haven't even, they don't even know the scriptures. It's like Peter's saying. They're uninformed. They're blasting off stuff about Christianity. They don't even know. He continues. Suffering wrong is the wage of their wrongdoing. They count it pleasure to revel in the daytime. They're indifferent. They don't mind sinning, not just at night, during the day. They don't care. They are blots and blemishes. Wow, Peter. Reveling in their deceptions while they feast with you. They're right there eating. They entice unsteady souls. They have hearts trained in greed. Accursed children. They're lustful. They're manipulative. The righteous anger of Peter on these false teachers is equivalent to hearing that somebody used a a preaching position to molest children. That's where Peter's at. They're purposely leading the church astray with their plastic words and their hearts full of greed, full of sensual agendas to just appeal to the crowd. He says they followed the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved gain from wrongdoing. Wait, what? Balaam? Do you remember Balaam? Yeah, yeah, the Old Testament's Gumby and Pokey. (laughs) He was riding a donkey when an angel of the Lord stopped him in the tracks. You remember the story of Balaam? Look, look, Peter Peter references it. He says this. They have followed the way of Balaam, the son of Baor, who loved gain from wrongdoing. Remember that. Who loved gain from wrongdoing, but was rebuked for his own transgressions, that's sin. A speechless donkey spoke with him with a human voice and restrained the prophet's madness. Now here's one of these accounts in scriptures that's just as odd, okay, in the way God miraculously works as maybe even a Jonah story. Do you remember the context of that? Balaam was a prophet who spoke for the Lord. He spoke the things of God to people. He shared and God would speak to him. You can read his story throughout Numbers. But there was an instance where there was this Balak, he was a leader, and the people of Israel put a camp up near him and he reached out to Balaam and he said, hey, I'll pay you handsomely if you pronounce a curse on the people of Israel. And Balaam thinks about it, converses with God about it. God says, no, you can't do that. Gets back to Balak and says, I can't do that. All I can do is speak what God tells me to speak. Sounds great, right? So Balak goes, 
You can only speak, okay, I'll, 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 I'll really make it worth your while. And he increases the offer. And, and this begins to motivate Balaam. This is a good offer here. And so he talks to God about it. He decides to go. God tells him, speak only what I'm gonna speak. And God twists the whole thing on Balak at one point. But what comes apart is the story that Peter is ledgering, this part of the story, where Balaam's riding his donkey to go pronounce the judgment that God's gonna give from his mouth. And he's gonna get this money from Balak. So God knows the evilness of his heart. Part of the ways of Balaam is that God knows the evilness of the heart of the person speaking, if you will, for God. The donkey sees the angel, Balaam does not, and the donkey veers off the path and Balaam hits the donkey. Bang, hits it. The donkey goes to the other side of the path and puts Balaam's knee into the wall and he hits the donkey. What's wrong with you? Because the donkey sees the angel of the Lord, it tells us in Numbers, but Balaam does not. The donkey finally not wanting to die by the sword of the angel. So I've got this idea in my head that the angel's just like, and it lays down. And when it lays down, Balaam starts hitting the donkey. What's wrong with you? And the donkey talks. Boy, that would give me pause. <laughs> but the donkey says, why do you hit me? What I, I've always been basically, I'm, I'm gonna just paraphrase because I don't have the text in front of me. I've been a good donkey basically to you. Why, if I'm behaving differently, then something's going on. And, and you know, God's miraculously working this way. Balaam then sees the angel of the Lord. God reveals it to him and he falls down, worships. Peter says, this prophet of God, if you will, you could say he was a wicked prophet because he was speaking for God, but he was doing it out of his greed and out of his personal agenda. And Peter says, that's what these false teachers are. You might hear some things that sound really godly, but they're doing it for all the wrong reasons and they're be deceiving and betraying the people they speak to. He says they're waterless springs. They're mist driven by a storm. For them the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved which really seems to now seem we are talking about unbelieving people parading as God's messengers. They're waterless springs. They speak but there's nothing there. It looks great. It offers nothing. For speaking loud boasts of folly, they entice by sensual passions the flesh of those who are barely escaping from those who live in error. What? Yeah. They boast loudly in their folly. They prey on sensual passions of things that people want to hear from a speaker. And they easily deceive those who are barely escaping from those who live in error. It's almost the idea of an immature faith can very easily fall prey to a false teacher. A young faith, don't just bring up age. A young person in the things of the Lord can easily be enticed by something that looks of God, but its roots are very different. Peter says they promise them freedom if you do this, then you'll have this. 
but they themselves are slaves to corruption. For whatever overcomes a person, that he is enslaved. If you're overcome by the desire for success, you become a slave to success. If you're overcome by the desire for comfort, you become a slave to comfort. If you're overcome by the desire for money, you become a slave to money. If you're overcome with the desire for independence, you become a slave to becoming independent and never needing anyone and having your life live in security. You become enslaved to it. I remember one of my buddies in high school, he bought this awesome car. We were all excited he bought it because we wanted to ride around in it too. And we never saw him again. Like, where are you, man? You going out this week? I can't, I got work. I got to work. This car is so much money. I mean, you got to put gas in it and like insurance and like all this stuff. He ended up selling it by his senior year. Why? Because he became a slave to that car. And the very thing that he thought would give him freedom, he actually became enslaved to him. Well, these preachers promise freedom, but they're a slave to the corruption. For if, after they escape the defilements of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome, the last state has been worse for them than the first. Peter, what are you saying? He continues, for it would have been better for them never to have known the way of righteousness than after knowing it to turn back from the holy commandment delivered to them. Peter, what are you saying? Are you saying they were saved and lost their salvation? Well, that would be contrary to scripture. So are you saying it's like they were in the church? They even knew a lot of the truth, even expounded it to others, but they truly weren't saved and they walked away from it? It would have been better for them to have never known that Jesus is a savior that has come for them than to have known it and then to walk away from it? Does this happen? Does this happen that, that people can spend their lives in church and have never come to a knowledge of Jesus Christ in their heart, only in their head? My father-in-law says there's a lot of people in the church, he loves to say this, they've got Jesus in their head, but not in their heart. And that's important because you can believe that Jesus is real and not have him as your personal savior. You say, I don't know about that, Chris. Well, then let me help you out. Even the demons believe, scripture tells me. So I wanna ask you, teenager, sitting by your mom and dad, I wanna ask you, college student, I wanna ask you, dad, I wanna ask you, mom, I wanna ask you, grandpa, there's not a chance you got Jesus in your head and you just do this because they say to. You've got him in your heart, right? Because you don't want to miss heaven by 12 inches about. You don't want to do that. My bride will even tell you that much of her high school life, she's not completely sure if she came to Christ as her savior. She knows she did in college. But she said much of high school I would do things, I would rebel, I would do things, I, I, I lied, I, did, I had no guilt, none, none. My heart was completely hard, yet I could come to every youth group event, I knew the word of God, I sat over my parents, I listened to the music. There are people that hear the way of the truth, but they've never truly taken Jesus as their personal savior. I remember 
the day I saw an article that said one of my favorite band's lead singer has denied Jesus Christ. I read them too, young people. And I go, oh no, oh no. And I wanted to read it. And you should have heard how his post was just so angry and frustrated. I want to tell you something. When somebody comes to me and says, yeah, I grew up in the church, but you know what now? Now I'm this. I don't even believe God's real. I, I, uh, time out, man. Hey, hey, what happened? What? What happened? What happened? What do you mean? Come on. What happened? Every time they have a story of someone hurting them or being hurt, or a place where they felt they've been let down. Every time, it's always from pain. And that's why when someone knows the way of the truth and they say they walk away from it, they hate their family members who still believe it. They hate the church. They write things, they're so angry. And it's almost like it would have been better for them. Oh, I hear you, Peter. It's almost better that you didn't know because you've turned from the thing that promises life. He's like, that's what these false teachers are like. And he goes, what the true proverb says has happened to them. Like a dog who returns to its own vomit and like the sow or a pig, after washing herself, returns to wallow in the mire. Peter's frustrated because these are men, women, teachers, whatever they are, who are going around leading people astray and have their own wicked agendas. Does this happen in the church today, Peter? Is this happening? I mean, should we be watching for this too, Peter? Like I see it's going on then, should we be watching it too? And the answer is, and you know this, of course, of course we should be watching for this. There are false teachers and you can know them. How? A twisted Jesus. Jesus is always like a good option, not the option. And you'll hear it as you listen for it. There'll be a twisted gospel. The gospel will sound like the gospel, but there's some elements that have been added or maybe purposely avoided. They have a twisted agenda. They have a goal, and that goal becomes very obvious over time. And they have a twisted heart. Now, I want to be real careful to make sure we don't become a church that is judgmental of communicators. Because it takes incredible courage for your Sunday school teacher, for your small group teacher, for your classroom teacher to get up and share the words of God. And often they'll come to me, Pastor Chris, I think I did a good job. I'm just not sure. We all act that way. I still do that. I walk out back going, I don't know about that one. And people make mistakes when they communicate. And, and being a communicator who has had people accuse him of things, taken words out of context, leveraged it to say, I told you about this guy, I've been there. I've already even said, oh, that's a false teaching. You may have a different hermeneutic than me, but there's a good chance we might be in glory together. You might have a different view on that passage. I might not have done as good a job as I should have, and I need to grow in the things of the Lord. You might hear a communicator like that, but I get very leery of people who take public figures and slander them when they've never even met them. 
I remember being a young guy and sharing about this guy does this and this, 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 this. And I had a mentor walk up to me and said, Chris, I'm not disagreeing with anything you said, but would you have done that if he was sitting in the second row? No way. So just because they're famous doesn't give you the right to slander them unless you're sure. And be very careful in the Google research day and age. What your sources are you're quoting from. Because people can take sources that if you told them the source, you realize that source, oh, I didn't know that, I just kind of just agreed with a viewpoint. Yeah, that source is garbage. And that person has an incredible vendetta against that public communicator. You can't just take it and resurface it. Be very careful, church, because aren't we good at killing our own? Aren't we good at crushing the people who are trying to do good by throwing out inflammatory language that'll get clicks and likes? and more blog followers. Be very careful. Because if that author you've been publicly trashing was sitting in your room and she starts to cry when she says, this is why I chose to do that, you go, I probably shouldn't have done that. Takes so much courage to put something out in our world today. So be very careful, church, about who you attack in your computer in your bedroom. They might just be doing the work and they're not perfect and speakers make mistakes. And most guys would tell you, I wish I could go back and preach my first few sermons. But there are those who are false teachers. They preach heresies. It'll begin with something like, you know what, the Bible said this, but I no longer believe this and here's why. Watch for that. Watch for that. Young people, don't get sidetracked by somebody who says, I no longer think this. It takes a lot, a lot of nerve to say every previous commentator in the history of the world's wrong, and I'm now right. Careful, careful. Watch for the heretic. Second, watch for the prophet. They'll come along and they've got dates, they've got times, they've got trailers, they've got billboards. Jesus is returning, sell everything. On May 18th, see, I'm not even gonna do it. I'm not even gonna say a date just because I'm being recorded right now. That's how careful I wanna be. But they'll give things out and they'll produce and they'll promote. And you gotta watch for that. No man knows the day. Watch out for the prophets. They love to say that God's given them revelation that you can't have. They love it, they love it. Watch, watch, watch. I'm not saying they're unbelievers. I'm not saying they're believers. I'm saying you've got to watch for this stuff. Third, the tickler. They don't want to hurt their audience's feelings. They don't want to lose followers, so watch. I'm going to tell you what. I have preached some things over the past year, guys, where my heart was going like this in front of you all. You're like, oh, you look so confident. Yeah, I'm like, hmm. Okay, it is hard to preach things. You know some people are not going to receive well. It just is. The biggest thing though for a communicator of God's word is you gotta push through the fear of man and fear God more than man, amen, church? The tickler though can't afford to do that. Watch out for the judge. I I, I find it truly amazing. People think cool lights and skinny jeans is liberal when I can tell you there are churches of 80 people or 10 people 
with a suit on that looks polished that is full of greed and evil. And it's often authoritarian. Don't get caught up in this. God calls us to be relevant. We have a relevant message. That's not what makes a church go liberal. What makes a church go liberal in its theology and its path and its walking away from scripture is poor leadership that's not standing on the word of God. That's what you hold it accountable for. It's not that I sit on a stool because I've had people that have even said he sits on the stool. He clearly is going south. Actually, I got a degenerative hip, I think, and every once in a while, it's nice to sit down. And that, I'm telling you, stuff has been built off of that, and we gotta be careful, church. I'm up to this. You wanna, you wanna trust your leaders first, if you can, but watch for the judge. I, I, was, I was one time privy to something where there was this guy in this church, and he was berating his congregation, and I remember I remember the words of a mentor I had. Be very careful. Chris, how would you want people to talk to your wife? Well, with, with respect and kindness and love. Okay, you're talking to the bride of Christ each Sunday morning. You remember whose wife you're talking to when you talk. And from that time, from that mentor, I said, I'm gonna handle the church with grace and love and try to inspire the church and grow the church. Not smash her in the head. She probably beats up on herself too much and there's people who love to go, the problem with the church today and it'll get clicks. But I love the church of Jesus Christ. I love my brothers and sisters in Christ and honestly, I have no idea where I'd be without y'all. Watch out for the judge who says, it's my way. I'm the authority. The scripture is the authority. And then the charlatan, they're in it simply for greed. Now be careful, just because a pastor has had success does not make him a false teacher. He may have done some really neat things. He may have received monetary get back for that. That doesn't make him a false teacher. Who knows? His wife might be loaded. You don't know. <laughs> but when the agenda is that, it's manipulative. You'll be able to spot it. And the goal is simply to gain more than to give, which we're called to servant leadership. So what can we hold on to? Can our church hold on to something? Well, I thought since we finish every sermon with holding on to a few key verses, I'll get my rope yet again. And, and I'll pull it across here. Now, last week, it didn't come all the way across, church. Our staff said, you responded well. Putting it around your waist was a good idea. I said, it was intentional. They said, no, it wasn't. I said, it wasn't. It wasn't. Let's be authentic today. This is a rope, and it's pulling us up the hill. But these are the promises. The promises of God empower us. They'll pull us towards heaven's glory. We got to hold on to them, and the resolve is not try harder. The resolve is to hold on. Let us hold tightly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. Here's a few verses I hold on to when the weight of man's opinion and pressure is pushing hard on me. One, we want to preach from this pulpit an authentic Jesus. Amen? I hope I get amens through this session, or I'm going to be worried about the future. Amen. 
John 1, 1 says, in the beginning was the word, that is the Logos, that is Jesus. He was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Jesus is God. Can we hold on to it, church? Jesus is God. If he's not God, we are in trouble. He's God. Now I want to know something. I want you to know something. You will even read certain man-made religions that take John 1, 1 and it'll say, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was a God. Oh, it looks so perfect. But it makes Jesus kind of a, another. Jesus is God, fully incarnated God, man. And we can bank on that. We preach an authentic Jesus. Hold on to that, church. Hold on to it. Hold on to it. Second, authentic Gospel. John 14, 6 says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's not Chris's opinion. Ah, that's what your church says, you know? I understand, it's that's your church. No, 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 I'm quoting Jesus. I know you believe that. No, 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 I'm quoting Jesus. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father. So if you hear a communicator going, you know what? We all come to Christ in different ways. Hold on to that. Hold on to that, John 14, 6. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. My salvation is based on the work of Jesus Christ. We must preach an authentic gospel that we must turn from our sins and come to our Savior and trust him. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son that whoever, watch me grab it, believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. If you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. Hold on to that. Jesus is the pathway to salvation. An authentic, authentic gospel, an authentic, here's the next one, agenda. I'm just gonna be upfront with you, especially if you're newer to our church. Our church has grown quite a bit. This has kind of been my life verse. It's really helped me throughout my ministry. So I'll just be upfront and transparent. I'm gonna give you my agenda. Be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. I've said this to myself a hundred times, Chris, be steadfast. Even though everybody's pushing, be steadfast. Hold on to this. Okay, okay. Unmovable. Don't be, don't be like plastic. You gotta stand on this truth even when it's not popular, even when it's not fun. And it hasn't been all that fun all the time. And we want to work for the Lord, for everything we do for the Lord is not in vain. No matter what God's called you to do, in your line of work, in the school, whatever, work for the Lord and have an authentic agenda. And then finally, authentic heart. Romans 12, two says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable. Church, you're not gonna hear a lot of me saying things like, watch out for that, watch out for that. But I will say this, learn discernment. A mature church can discern the content it's getting. And when you do it, do it with the avenue of grace. But be sure you're praying for your church leaders. Be sure you're praying for your teacher. Make sure you thank your small group leader. 
because it's difficult to teach, because you do get criticism. And so make sure you're encouraging those who you know are doing their best. Not perfect. We'll make mistakes. They'll have character flaws from time to time. But you at least know their agenda isn't evil and they're not twisting the gospel to help you walk away from the truth, but help you go for it. Let's hold on to these things. As we move into the future, and I pray you'll find this church to be a place that is doing its best to present to you the word of God in a way that we can grow from it, be refined from it, and when we don't like it, submit to it. Four, it's the words of life. And Peter said, where will we go? You have the words of life. We'll hold on to it and let it pull us to glory. Heavenly Father, thank you for a reminder today of how easy it can be sometimes to get distracted and allow something to infiltrate our heart that's not of truth. Lord, I pray you use this service today to increase all of our discernment. It was good, I know for me, a communicator, to, to really kind of just sit under this truth. Things to guard for and watch out for. Lord, I pray you protect those churches out there who are doing their best to present the word of God and truth. I present the body of Christ. I pray for the body of Christ and be, be careful to not be slandering one another, especially when maybe, maybe we just have a, a slightly different view of something, but in the areas where ah, we can't bend on that doctrine, Lord, may we hold on firmly. This is not an excuse to not have good textual study. But Lord, most importantly, may we do the work of an evangelist. May we share the gospel of Jesus Christ for there are people that are dying and going to hell. There might be even people who have Jesus in their head, but not in their heart. And even today, whether they're watching online or sitting in house, they need to make sure that not just they believe in Jesus, but that they've made him their savior. Lord, I pray even today, you would encourage someone to grab hold of that rope and allow you to pull them right into glory. Lord, you who promises faithful will hold on to those promises. Thank you, God, for this truth that we can watch for and discern any error that might come our way. Amen.